Well, it's September, everybody, and I got a great author for you this month of the Only You Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. September is Library Card Sign-Up Month, so get out there and sign up for the Library Card, man. If you don't know anything about the library, the libraries now have so much to offer. If you're low on cash and you want to watch a movie with your significant other, you can go to the library and check a movie out, and they usually have all the up-to-date movies, and they're free. They have... um, other services there like the internet computers um they offer special courses they offer people um to learn how to read braille um they offer they offer stuff for your kids to do all the time i used to take my kids to the library always they had puppet shows talent contests all kinds of stuff up there but you can actually find out all the history on your house at the library too and everybody that's ever lived there all the renovations all kinds of different things you can really uh, dive in at the library. So get out there to your local library, because this month of the only you were, you know, kind of promoting the library card sign up for the month. You know, you got to do it. You got to get your brain on. You know, because you know everybody's like, oh, you know, I want my I want my beach body for the summer. Well, I want my brain. I want my brain body for my forever. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, this month's author though is going to be Carl Gustav Jung. Hopefully you guys will enjoy this because he is one of the best world-renowned authors. He has um, so much influence on the psychological world. Uh, Young's work has been influential in the fields of psychiatry, anthropology, archaeology, literature, philosophy, psychology, and religious studies. He worked as a research scientist there. Um, He worked at a psychiatric hospital in Zurich. Jung established himself as an influential mind, developing a friendship with uh, Sigmund Freud, the founder of psychoanalysis, conducting a lengthy correspondence paramount to their joint vision of human psychology. Young is widely regarded as one of the most influential psychologists in history. And, you know, Freud saw the younger Young not only as the heir he had been seeking to take forward his new science of psycho- psychoanalysis, but as means to legitimize his own work. Because, you know, you think about it at the time, nobody believed in Freud. And, dude, when Freud came out with the the freaking uh, Oedipus complex. You should have seen the world front upon that dude big time. So the Oedipus complex is pretty much like, um, so King Oedipus, I don't want to tell you wrong. I, I believe he was pretty much given up for adoption as a baby. And then later on, like wound up coming king of the kingdom. And then he wound up sleeping with his mom and then Freud came up with the, he called it the Oedipus complex. And it stated that every little girl wants to sleep with their daddy and every little boy wants to sleep with their mommy, like sexually, like legitimately. I mean, look it up. You, you, guys, you guys can do your own studying too. You know, if I tell you about this stuff, just go look it up so then you know for yourself. Because I don't always remember every little thing to the things that I learned, but I'm pretty close. I can get you there. I can get you some of the information to get you the right answer. Um, but that's pretty quacked out and twisted, I think. Even though um, a lot of people 
took that and ran with it and made a... They, so a lot of people actually piggyback off of Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. So the more I research Sigmund Freud and the more I research Carl Jung, the more I... Re, this is how I see it, or I realize it. Um, Freud believed that every trauma that's ever happened to you up until this point is why you are the way you are and why you act the way you act. So when this started going on with, uh, you know, Freud finally getting recognition for psychoanalysis, Jung then started pretty much like being oppositional to his mentor or, you know, the person who invented his field, really. And he started like being defiant towards him. So Carl Jung's theory is deny trauma because trauma is actually just circumstances that happen in life and most psychoanalysis now they piggyback off of freud way more than young and in reality i tried it with some of my own trauma you guys and honestly i had mega results by denying the trauma like hey you know what it happened you know, maybe I didn't understand what my dad was going through. Maybe I didn't understand what my mom was going through. Maybe there was, you know, some short circuits up there at the time, or maybe their neural um, pathways were corrupted because that can happen. Your neural pathways can get corroded in your 20s. That's when, like, you're developing so much. And if you're not focused and you're not goal-oriented, task-oriented, you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop especially in your 20s when you're trying to find out and figure out who you are and make your empire. Because I tell my kids, you know, either you build your empire up from 18 to 28 or you burn that mother effort down. And for the most part, all, my kids all got straight A's and they're now all gone and doing pretty good. Both my, both two of my youngest kids just bought their own houses. Pretty impressive. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. Um, yeah, so... Um, Freud and other <clears throat> contemporary psychoanalysis um, were Jews facing rising anti-Semitism in Europe. And Jung was Christian. Uh, Freud secured Jung's appointment as president of Freud's newly founded International uh, Psychoanalytical Association, too, at that time. And Jung's research and personal vision, however, made it difficult to follow his older predecessor, and colleagues, uh, their doctrines, and they parted ways. The, um, the division was painful for Jung, and it resulted in the establishment of Jung's analytical psychology as a comprehensive system separate from the psychoanalysis. See, because I told you, everything I read, it, it, it was just, he was just, a, he started getting oppositional. And you could, you could almost see it as Freud was writing in his journal. When I read through the journal a little bit, it was like, huh. Like, you could tell, like, there was, a, there was vibes there that weren't right between these two. And I, it's like a, it's an ego thing, too. And because you know Jung went and actually studied the, the I, the ego, and the, um, what's the other one? Super ego, I think, or whatever. Um, I haven't thought about it in a while, but... Um, so he went over there and he studied all that stuff and he studied psychoanalysis inside now, but in reality, in his mind, he was up and coming. So it was like, I'm going to 
piggyback off this, but I'm going to do my own thing because I'm going to make my own name in the same field, but oppose to give a different view. And that's how they created everything that's going on around us. And I mean, there's been some great um, writings. There's been some great teachers out there. There's been people that have nursed people back from schizophrenia, bipolarism. All those things are curable. Those are all stress-related and environmental. Um, so, you know, Young went his own way, and he was upset about it, too, because, it, which, I mean, I don't know why he was upset. I, I didn't understand that part. Like, oh, why? You know, among the central concepts of analytical psychology is individualization. And this is a Jungian psychology it means like or it was a process of um, psychological integration. In general, it is the process by which individual beings are formed and differentiated from other human beings. In particular, it is the development of psychological individual as a being distinct from the general collective psychology. And individualization is a process of transformation whereby the personal and collective unconscious are brought into consciousness, you know, by means of dreams, active imagination. And this theory, I believe, is where, um, like, um, rapid eye movement therapy came from, um, EMDR. Um, I told you about that. I think I told you that about... I think that was back in May I told you about EMDR because I had gone to that psychologist and he did EMDR me and I went home and did it in the mirror and it works like an eraser and it erases the pain of the memories and you never think about it again. It's crazy, but it does work and it comes from this individualization um, process of transformation, really. It's pretty cool. Honestly, so if you get a chance, kind of, kind of read up about his or Freud's uh, Freud, wow, Jung's individualization theory. I, I thought it was pretty cool, um, and Jung considered it to be the main task of human development. He created some of the best-known psychological concepts, including uh, synchronicity. Whoops, um, and synchronicity that was a concept first introduced by analytical. Yeah, analytical, analytical psychologist Carl Jung describes circumstances that appear meaningfully related yet lack a casual connection. Kind of cool though. He had, um, he invented um, archetypical phenomena, the collection of unconsciousness, the psychological complex, which it's as a complex um, is objectified as an underlying theme like power or a status by grouping clusters of emotions, memories, perceptions, and wishes in response to a threat to the stability of the self. So that was kind of, I mean, he had some great theories and some great ideas. And it's like, I, I wish I would learn more about people like this now because, I mean, great minds are hard to find because there's like just so much 
stuff being plugged into our brains constantly. And I do want to say that Carl Jung was born on July 26, 1875, and he had the unfortunate death on June 6, 1961. So he was actually still alive during our time. And today's read is actually going to be one of his most popular reads. It's called Psychology of the Unconscious Mind. And remember, September, guys, it is Library Card Sign-Up Month. So thank you, everybody, for going out there and signing up at your local library and getting involved. Because you know what? There's, you, you could donate your time at the local library. And if you don't know about how riches work, it, um, to gain anything in life, you have to be a giver. You have to be able to give everything at any moment. Your house, your car, anything. When you get on that level, it's transformational, mind-blowing. Um, Robert Morris, he actually talked about how he gave his house away and he just walked away from it. And he was blessed beyond belief. I love that guy. Check him out, Robert Morris. But we're going to get into this book, and hopefully you guys will enjoy Carl Jung this month. Carl Jung is a fabulous author, fabulous psychologist. Now, let's read Psychology of the Unconscious. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I wanted to talk to you about self-talk. I'm not sure if any of you have ever heard of self-talk or negative self-talk or positive self-talk, but self-talk isn't always a positive force. If you are engaging in negative self-talk, it can take a toll on your confidence, your self-esteem, and your mental well-being, you guys. So sometimes you might find yourself engaging in self-talk or uh, on rumination or continually talking about the same sad, negative, dark thoughts. This type of self-talk may be a sign of mental health conditions such as depression. Um, self-talk can also be a concern if it occurs as a result of hallucinations, and that's a part of schizophrenia. You know, when you hear people blur out random sentences and they're acting wild, you know, they could be, have, they, they could have schizophrenia and be going through a schizophrenic moment, you know? And this case, a person would talk aloud to a non-existent external source rather than engaging in a conversation with them. Hallucinations may be connected to a number of different conditions, including schizophrenia, bipolarism, um, substance use, um, met metabolic conditions, and even, you know, PTSD is another concern. Um, I do want to share with you guys something else that I uh, came across, and that's that kids that were neglected when they were little or abandoned, you know, they are their own counsel. So, like, they don't, tr they have trust issues, like, big time. Neglected kids and abandoned kids. Um, not because they believe no one else is reliable, 
Um, it's actually because their early life has taught them that the only person they could truly rely on was themselves. They search for partners that don't want them for affection, which while these examples may have been a, ne a necessary survival strategy during childhood, um, as an adult, it often leads to a life of emotional disconnection and relational challenges. So remember when you're talking to yourself, it is a good thing to talk to yourself. A lot of highly intelligent people talk through problems or talk through things. It's when it gets to the point where, um, you know, it's, it's a negative and it's not a positive anymore. And it's all about horrible situations. You know, you gotta be aware of those things. But um, humanity is seeking a new message, a new light upon the meaning of life and something tangible, as it were, with which it can work towards a larger understanding of itself and its relation to the universe it is a fact I think none will gainsay. Therefore, it has seemed to me particularly timely to introduce to the English-speaking world Dr. Young's remarkable book. It's called Wandalungan Un Symbol de Labido. In this work, he has plunged boldly into his treacherous sea of mythology and folklore, the production of the ancient mind and that of the common people, and turned upon this vast material and the same scientific painstaking method of psychologic analysis that is applied to the modern mind in order to reveal the common bond of desire and longing which unites all humanity and thus bridge the gaps presumed to exist between ancient and widely separated people and those of our modern time. The discovery of this undercurrent affecting and influencing ancient peoples as well as modern served as a foundation or platform from which he proceeds to hold aloft a new idea, a new goal of attainment possible of achievement and which can be intellectually satisfying, as well as emotionally appealing the goal of autonomy. This book, remarkable for its erudition and the tremendous labor expanded upon it, as well as for the new light which it sheds upon human life, its motives, its needs, and its possibilities, is not one for desultory, which I think desultory should, desultory is a word we need to bring back. It means lacking consistency. Hey, we know a lot of people doing that stuff right now, reading or superficial examination. Such as approach will prevent the reader from gaining anything of its real value. Now, psychology of the unconscious, an introduction to psychoanalysis and analytic psychology. When Professor Freud of Vienna made his early discoveries in the realm of the neurose and announced that the basis and origin of the various symptoms grouped under the term hysteria and neurosis lay in unfulfilled desires and wishes unexpressed and unknown to the 
patient for the most part and concerned chiefly with the sexual instinct, it was not realized what far-reaching influence this unpopular and bitterly attacked theory would exert on the understanding of human life in general. And I told you guys about that earlier, about Freud and his crazy thoughts. For the theory has so widened in its scope that its application has now extended beyond a particular group of pathologic states. It has in fact led to a new evaluation of the whole conduct of human life. A new comprehension has developed which explains those things which formerly were unexplained and there is offered an understanding not only by the symptoms of a neurosis and the phenomena of conduct, but the product of the mind as expressed in myths and religions. This amazing growth has proceeded steadily in an ever-winding fashion, despite opposition as violent as any of which have knowledge in the past. The criticism originally directed toward the little understood and much disliked sexual conception now includes the further teachings of a psychology which by the application to it of such damning phrases as mystical, metaphorical, and sacrilegious is condemned as unscientific. To add to the general confusion and misunderstanding surrounding this new school of thought, there has arisen a division amongst the leaders themselves so that there now exist two schools led respectively by Professor Sigmund Freud of Vienna and Dr. Carl Jung of Zurich. Referred to in the literature as the Vienna School and the Zurich School, it is very easy to understand that the criticism and opposition should develop against a psychology so difficult of comprehension and so disturbing to the ideas which have been held by humanity for ages. A psychology which furthermore requires a special technique as well as an observer trained to recognize and appreciate in psychologic phenomena a verification of the statement that there is no such thing as chance and that every act and every expression has its own meaning, determined by the inner feelings and wishes of the individual. It is not a simple matter to come out boldly and state that every individual is to a large extent the determiner of his own destiny. For only by poets and philosophers has the idea been put forth, not by science, and it is a brave act to make this statement with full consciousness of all its meaning and to stand ready to prove it by scientific reasoning and procedure. Developed entirely through empirical investigation and through an analysis of individual cases, Freudian psychology seems particularly to belong to that conception of Max Moeller's that an empirical acquaintance with facts rises to a scientific knowledge of facts as soon as the mind discovers beneath the multiplicity of single productions the unity of an organic system. 
The psychoanalysis is the name given to the method developed for researching down into the hidden depths of the individual to bring to light the underlying motives and determinants of his symptoms and attitudes and to reveal the unconscious tendencies which lie behind actions and reactions and which influence development and determine the relations of life itself. Pow! Now wake up, everybody. The result of digging down into the hidden psych has been to produce a mass of material from below the threshold of consciousness. So astonishing and disturbing and out of relation with the previously held values as to arouse in anyone unfamiliar with the process the strongest antagonism and criticism. Although originally studied only as a therapeutic method for the sick, it was soon realized through an analysis of the normal people how slight were the differences in the content of the unconscious of the sick and of the normal. The differences observed were seen BAM! to be rather in the reaction to life and to the conflicts produced by contending forces in the individual. I know you were getting sleepy, I could feel it. Don't wake it up out there. <laughs> These conflicts usually not fully perceived by the individual and having to do with objectionable desires and wishes that are not in keeping with the conscious idea of self produce marked effects which are expressed either in certain opinions, prejudices, attitudes of definite pathologic symptom. As Dr. Young says, he who remains healthy has to struggle with the same complexes that cause the neurotic to fall ill. In a valuable book called The Neighbor, written by the late Professor N. Schaller of Harvard University, there occurs this very far-reaching statement. It is hardly too much to say that all the important errors of conduct, all the burdens of men or of societies are caused by the inadequacies in the association of the primal animal emotions with those mental powers which have been so rapidly developed in mankind. This statement reached by a process of reasoning and a method of thought and study entirely different from psychoanalysis. Nevertheless, so completely expresses in brief form the very basis of the postulates developed through psychoanalysis that I quote it here. Such a statement made in the course of a general examination of human relations does not arouse opposition nor seem to be so difficult of acceptance. It appears to be the individual application of these conceptions that has aroused such bitter antagonism and violent denuncations. Rightly understood and used Psychoanalysis may be compared to surgery, for psychoanalysis stands in the same relation to the personality as surgery does to the body. And they aim at parallel results. It is well recognized that it, in the last analysis nature is the real physician, the healer of wounds. But prior to the development of our modern 
asepsis and surgical technique, the healing produced by nature was most often a very faulty and imperfect type. Hideous scars, distorted and crippled limbs with functions impaired or incapacitated resulted from the wounds or else nature was unable to cope with the hurt and the injured one succumbed. Science has been steadily working for centuries with the aim of understanding nature and finding means to aid and cooperate with her so that healing could take place with the least possible loss of function or permanent injury to the individual. Marvelous results have rewarded these persistent efforts as the brilliant achievements. Meantime, however, little thought was given to the possibility of any scientific method being available to help man overcome the wounds and conflicts taking place in his soul, hurts which retarded his development and progress as a personality and which frequently in the struggle resulted in physical pains and symptoms of the most varied character. That was left solely to religion and metaphysics. Now, however, the same assistance that surgery has given to the physical body, psychoanalysis attempts to give to the personality. That it cannot always succeed is as much to be expected and more than the surgery does not always succeed for the analytic work requires much of the individual. No real result can be attained if he has not already developed a certain quality of character and intelligence which makes it possible for him to submit himself to a facing of his naked soul and the pain and suffering which this often entails. Here, as in no other relation in life, an absolute truth and an absolute honesty are the only base, basis of action since deception of any kind deceives no one but the individual who himself and acts as a boomerang defeating his own aims. So it pretty much like wraps back around and gets you once you, you know, get like that. Such deep searching and penetrating into the soul is not something to be undertaken lightly, nor to be considered a trivial or simple matter. And the fact is that where a strong compulsion is lacking, such as sickness or a situation too difficult to meet, much courage is required to undertake it. In order to understand this psychology, which is pervading all realms of thought, and seems destined to be a new psychological philosophical system for the understanding and practical advancement of human life, it will be necessary to go somewhat into detail regarding its development and present status. For in this new direction lies its greatest value and its greatest danger. The beginnings of this work were first published in 1895 and a book entitled Studen Uber Hysteria or Student Uber Hysteria it looks like and contained the joint investigations into hysteria by Dr. Brewer of Vienna and his pupil Dr. Sigmund Freud <clears throat> excuse me the result of their investigations seemed to show that the various symptoms grouped under the little 
title of a stereo were the result of emotionally colored reminiscence, which all unknown to the conscious waking self were really actively expressing themselves through the surrogate form of symptoms and that these experiences, although forgotten by the patient, could be reproduced and the emotional content discharged. Thank you guys for listening. Hypnosis was the means used to enable the physician to penetrate deeply into the forgotten memories. And it was found through hypnosis that these lost incidents and circumstances were not really lost at all, but only dropped from consciousness and were capable of being revived when given the proper stimuli. The astonishing part about it was that the revival of these memories and their accompanying painful and distributing emotions, the symptoms appeared. This led naturally to the conclusion that these symptoms were dependent upon some emotional disturbance or psychic trauma, which had been inadequately expressed and that in order to cure the patient, one merely had to establish the connection between the memory and the emotion which properly belonged to it, letting the emotion work itself out through a reproduction of the forgotten scene. With further investigation, kind of like out of sight, out of mind is what I'm thinking. With further investigation, Freud found that hypnosis was unnecessary for the revival of the forgotten experiences and that it was possible to obtain the lost emotional material in the conscious and normal state. For this purpose, the patient was encouraged to assume a passive, non-critical attitude and simply let his thoughts flow, speaking of whatever came into his mind, holding nothing back during this free and easy discussion of his life and conditions directed by the law of association of ideas, references, and invariably made to the experience of thoughts which were the most effective and disturbing elements. It was seen to be quite impossible to avoid this indirect revelation because the strength of the emotions surrounding these ideas and the effect of the conscious wish to repress unpleasant feelings. This important group of ideas or impressions with the feelings and emotions clustered around them which are betrayed through this process was called by Jung a complex. It always contains feelings and emotions so painful and unpleasant as to be unacceptable to consciousness and which are therefore repressed and hidden great difficulties appeared for very often the patient came to a sudden stop and could apparently recall nothing more memory gaps were frequent relations twisted etc evidently some force banished these memories so that the person was quite honest in saying that he could remember nothing or that there was nothing to remember this kind of forgetfulness was called repression and is the normal mechanism by which nature protects the individual from such painful feelings as are caused by unpleasant and unacceptable experiences and thoughts. 
the recognition of his egotistic nature and the often quite unbearable conflict of his weaknesses with the feelings of idolism. At, the, at this early time, great attention was given towards developing a technique which would render more easily the reproduction of these forgotten memories. For with the abandonment of hypnosis, it was seen that some unknown active force was at work, which not only banished painful memories and feelings, but also prevented their return. This was called resistance. This resistance was found to be the important mechanism which interfered with a free flow of thought and produced the greatest difficulty in the further conduct of the analysis. It appeared under various guises and frequently manifested itself in intellectual objections based on reasoning ground and criticism directed towards the analyst or in criticism of the method itself and finally often in a complete blocking of expression so that until the resistance was broken nothing more could be produced are you guys following pretty interesting right it was necessary then to find some aid by which these resistance could be overcome and the repressed memories and feelings revive and set free. For it was proven again and again that even though the person was not at all aware of concealing within himself some emotionally disturbing feeling or experience with which his symptoms were associated, yet such was the fact that under proper conditions, this material could be brought into consciousness. This realm where these unknown but disturbing emotions were hidden was called the unconscious. The unconscious also being a name used arbitrarily to indicate all the material of which the person is not aware at the given time, the not conscious. This term is used very loosely in Freudian psychology and is not intended to provoke any academic discussion but to conform strictly to the dictionary classification of a negative concept which can neither be described nor defined. To say that an idea or feeling is unconscious merely means to indicate that the individual is unaware at the time of its existence or that all the material of which he is unaware at a given time is unconscious. I want to say this. This reminded me of, in French, they say, tu me manques. In English, we say, I miss you. Tu me manques in French means you are missing from me. When we are hearing about conscious and unconscious. That's what it reminded me of. With the discovery of the significance in relation to hysteria of these varied experiences and forgotten memories, which always led into the erotic realm and unusual, were carried far back into early childhood. The theory of an infantile sexual trauma as a cause of this neurosis developed Contrary to the unusual belief that children have no sexuality and that only at puberty does it suddenly arise, it was definitely shown 
that there was a very marked kind of sexuality among children of the most tender years, entirely instinctive and capable of producing a grave effect on the entire later life. However, further investigations carried into the lives of normal people disclosed quite as many psychic and sexual traumas in their early childhood as in the lives of their patients. Therefore, the conception of the infantile sexual trauma as the etiological etiological factor was abandoned in favor of the infantilism of sexuality itself. In other words, it was soon realized that many of the sexual traumas which were placed in their early childhood by these patients did not really exist except in their own minds and probably were produced as a defense against the memories of their own childish sexual activities. These experiences led to a deep investigation into the nature of the child's sexuality and developed the ideas which Freud incorporated in a work called Three Contributions to the Sexual Theory. He found so many variations and manifestations of sexual activity even among young children that he realized that the activity was the normal. Although entirely unconscious expression of the child's developing life and while not comparable to the adult sexuality, nevertheless produced a very definite influence and effect on the child's life. These childish expressions of this instinct he called polymorphous perverse because in many ways they resemble the various abnormalities called perversions when found among adults under certain conditions. In the light of these additional investigations, Freud was led to change his formulation for instead of the symptoms of the neurotic patient being due to definite sexual experiences, they seem to be determined by his reactions toward his own sexual constitution and the kind of repression to which these instincts were subjected. Perhaps one of the greatest sources of misunderstanding and difficulty in this whole subject lies in the term sexuality. For Freud's conception of this is entirely different from that of the popular sense. He conceived sexuality to be practically synonymously with the word love and to include under this term all those tender feelings and emotions which have had their origin in a primitive erotic source even if now their primary aim is entirely lost and another substituted for it. It must also be borne in mind that Freud strictly emphasizes the psych side of sexuality and the, its importance as well as somic, somatic expression and a somatic relating to or affecting the body, especially as disguised from the germ plasm. Therefore, to understand Freud's theories, his very broad conception of the term sexual must never be forgotten. Through this careful investigation of psych life of the individual, the tremendous influence and importance of the fantasy making for the fate was definitely shown. And thank you guys for listening and hopefully you've enjoyed this.
meekness. Meekness, rather, to harness the horse's power from a state of wild independence to one of loyalty so that the horse could be used as the master of the horse intended. In the Bible, God called Moses meek because men of the Bible actually were called meek because they had an attitude or quality of heart whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else. In the case for Christians, that would be God or Jehovah Jireh. Horses and men go hand in hand because if you've never seen the eyes of a Mustang, you got to do it in your lifetime. Once you see the eyes of a wild horse, you'll understand what meekness is about. Because if you've never seen a wild man going through wild times like in his 20s, he can be meek. And he has meekness about him too that's coming. But he, he must do the will of God first. And hopefully you've enjoyed Psychology of the Unconscious. You need to get out there and read that book. It is September and it is Library Card Sign-Up Month. And hopefully you'll go into the world and be obedient under the command of the writer. Maybe, you know, your horse needs to be meeked. Because it's time. Maybe it's time to hang your hat up and grow up. And maybe um, you need to understand, you know, that Jesus uses the term meek in the Bible. Power under control. A horse. A horse's meekness is power under control. So, remember, go to your local library, use your meekness skills, you know, use your, be meek. Get out there and be meek. I know you are, Dee Dee, I see you. I see all you, Christina, and I see you other fans out there. <laughs> Thanks for listening, you guys. And thank you guys for my five-star reviews, and thank you for following me, and thank you for sharing me. Hopefully you've learned a little bit on this podcast because I wanted to share with you a few things. I wanted to share you about the word meek and meekness and how horses and men, they have a wildness to them that has to be pretty much tamed out of them. And every man goes through this. Some men catch on quicker than others. And honestly, some men don't grow up until forever. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But it's true though, some don't. Um, and I did want to share with you about, um, kids that were brought up neglectful or abandoned and how, you know, they actually revert to talking to themselves, you know, because they only trust themselves. And I find that to be alarming, but thank you guys for listening to the only you podcast. And this is September. This is Carl Young month here at the only you get out there and get that library card boy.